0: You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thePromiseChurch.com. This morning, I want to I want to speak to you uh, from a message that I spoke a couple of weeks ago called "It's Time to Leave the Village." Anybody remember that message? We talked about some amazing things like the discipline of the Lord, and it felt wonderful. And then He f- further disciplined me after the fact. And, um, uh, we, we were investigating, uh, Mark chapter eight, verse 22. And I want to read it again before we kind of dive in this morning to refresh us of what God has been saying to us as a church. And it says this in Mark chapter eight, verse 22, it says, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Everybody say outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. And we use this story to describe how Jesus came to this man who was blind, took him by the hand and led him outside of the village to bring healing to him. Was there something that Jesus was incapable of, of doing a a miracle in villages. Was it villages that were his kryptonite? No, he didn't wake up and have a bad morning. In fact, somebody who's blind, the environment, their place of comfort is incredibly important to them. So there's something unique about Jesus bringing this blind man out of the town in order to bring healing. The reason why it's significant is because that place of comfort that that blind man had created was actually resistant to healing coming into his life. That that satisfied, comfortable place actually is resistant to healing and transformation in your life. Because at its core, what it says is, I'm fine just the way that I am. And so Jesus has to lead this man out of his comfort to bring healing to his body. Now, as Christians, oftentimes we find ourselves in the same place. We're filled with comfort, and God must bring us out of that place of comfort. How do we know if we are in a place of comfort in our lives? If your life is more about you than it's about the Lord. How do you know if you're in a place of comfort? If you need somebody like me to come up here on stage to remind you to worship Jesus with all of your heart. How do you know if you're in a place of comfort if you've already been checking the score of the Seahawks game in church? For real, my wife just walked in the room. Nice to see you, babe. How do you know if you're in a place of comfort? If you work next to people who don't know Jesus and you've never told them about the Jesus inside of you, you are probably in a place of comfort. And Jesus is saying, I must lead you out of that place of comfort to bring transformation to your life. At the promised church, I've already said it, but we desire to see lives transformed, cities saved, and nations won by being people of his presence. In order to be people of his presence, we must yield to the invitations of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me a couple of months ago and he said, Aaron, I am, I'm starving you and I'm starving your church out of a satisfied state to make you desperate again. Are you all with me this morning? Am I speaking to anybody in this room? All right. He is starving us out of a satisfied state. As Americans, we yearn for satisfied states where it's all about us, where it's comfortable, where it's easy. And he's saying in the next season, if you want to receive the next phase of glory, right? God wants to bring us from glory to glory to glory. If you want to see the next move of God in your life, You must be willing to leave the satisfied state. The way that you've done things won't work anymore. The structures and the systems you've been using in your life, they may not work anymore. The way you've been approaching the Lord may not work anymore. The way you've been pursuing him, you may need to change. Things may need to shift as you leave that place of comfort. I heard a story recently about a man who was was on a run. Well, he ran regularly, but he decided to take a different route as he was running. And he was running on a dirt road, and he was uh, going next to this kind of like vacant lot. And this lot was destitute dry, but there was this dog on this lot. And as he ran by, this dog looked malnourished and hungry and cold and wet. And he runs by. As he runs by, the dog doesn't even move. It's like the dog doesn't even care that he's running by. So the man comes by again a couple of days, and he runs by the same dog on the same vacant lot. There he is again, looking even more malnourished, more hungry, more tired, more alone. This dog still doesn't move. So the next time the guy's getting ready to run by on this same road by this dog, he's like, I'm going to bring some food for the dog. So he packs some food with him. He comes by, he gives the dog some food. The dog begins to eat the food. And eventually the dog gets up and he starts running with the man for a couple of minutes. And then pretty soon the dog kind of gets tired and he turns away and he goes back to where he came from. The guy is going to run the same route again. So he brings some more food with him and he brings it, feeds the dog. The dog eats, gets re-energized, runs with the man for a few minutes. And then eventually returns right back to where he came from. Now the man has been getting an affection towards this dog. So he's like, I feel like I want to adopt this dog. I want to bring him home, which is what any crazy person would do. We don't have any d- and we have cats and they stay outside of our house. We, so the the guy goes and buys a leash. He gets a bed. He buys dog food. He like gets it all ready. And then he goes by again with more food and a leash. He feeds the dog. He puts the leash on him. The dog's happy and excited. He brings the dog back to his house. He brings him in there. He gives him a bath. He washes him. He cleans him up. He places him on the bed. He gives him food. The dog is literally living in a palace compared to where he's been. He's petting him. He spends the whole day with him just to get him familiar and comfortable with the surroundings. That evening the guy goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning and the dog is nowhere to be found. He goes and searches in the backyard. He searches all throughout the house. Can't find the dog anywhere. So he jumps in his car, drives to the empty lot. And there the dog is in the empty lot, cold, alone, by himself with no food. And the dog chose to leave the place of home and adoption to go back to a place of comfort and familiarity Because it's just what he knew. And as I was hearing the story, I was reminded of the last verse in this passage. When Jesus says to the man, he says, do not go back to the village. Do not go back to where you just came from. And the Lord began to speak to me. And show me how many of us, and even myself, how I've been brought with the Lord out of a place of comfort. Brought and received healing and transformation in my life. But after some time, the adoption that I've experienced, the life and the freedom and the healing that I've experienced. I don't even realize it, but I find myself back in the exact same place that he brought me out of. And Jesus knows. He says, don't go back to the village. Why is that important? Because if he goes back to the village, he's going to go around the same people he's always been around. He's going to go in the same place. of He'll probably go right back to where he was sitting because he's so used to being there. He'll sit there where he knows where everything is and he'll fall right back into the same rut and routine and familiarity that he's always had. And let's, let's be honest for a moment in this room. How many of us, me included, have said yes to the Lord. He's taken us by the hand. He's led us out of the village. He's led us out of our comfort zone. He's led us. And we've been infused with fire for the Lord. And then as time goes by, familiarity sets in, comfort sets in, routine sets in. And pretty soon we find ourselves right back where we've been. We remember what it was like when we were hungry for the Lord. We m- remember those moments. Weren't they awesome? Those moments when we were young after a youth camp or when we went to that conference or where we were in a dire need and we interceded and all of a sudden a miracle came and we were on fire for the Lord. And after we didn't need a miracle anymore, we just fell right back into the same place of comfort. And if we're being honest this morning, how many of us live our lives in this, this pattern of, encountering the Lord falling back into comfort encountering the Lord falling back into comfort we see this with the Israelites when they leave Egypt God brings them out of Egypt to the Red Sea they have the Red Sea in front of them and they can see the Egyptians coming behind them they've spent Decades and hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt. Generation after generation, they are finally free. They walk out with all the gold from all the Egyptians. They are flush with cash, coming out free at last, and they see the Egyptians coming behind them. And what do they say to Moses? It would have been better for us to have stayed slaves in Egypt than to have died in the wilderness. They would have rather like that dog gone back to the place of misery and hopelessness and despair rather than running after the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as Christians in America, we find ourselves in this dilemma on a regular basis. It's the cyclical cycle of Christianity in America. where We're on fire for the Lord, and then we're dead. And then we got to be stirred up, and then we go back to being dead again. And then we're on fire, and we're hot, and then we're cold. And we just have no level of consistency. We're just up and down and up and down, and we need a miracle, and now we're high. And then we're in a time of blessing, and now we're just passive and casual. What does it take for us to pursue the Lord and not return back? Let me read for you out of 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. I want to read it to you out of the Message Bible. It says, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone wins. No, no, no. What does it say? Everyone runs. How many win? How many win? Some of y'all just got delivered right there. Some of y'all have been given participation trophies, just got delivered as soon as you said that right there. One wins. Everyone runs. One wins. So do what? Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard to for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me I'm staying alert and in top condition I'm not going to get caught napping telling everyone else about it and then missing out Paul is riding to the church in Corinth and he's using this analogy of an athlete running in a race to depict on how we are to live our lives and all of us whether we like it or not are in this race If you are breathing, you are participating in this race. Now you may be walking, you may be sitting, you may be running in the wrong direction. But if you are alive, you are running in this race. And he's telling us to run to win. Run to win. Run as if your life depends upon it. Run as if the world depends upon it. Run to win. And it's not to win as if I'm trying to beat you and you're trying to beat me. No, he's saying in light of your life, in in light of the importance and the severity of every decision that you make in your life, treat it as if you're running like a trained athlete to win the race. And he's saying, do not have any plan Bs, do not have any plan Cs that will allow you to change course and turn back to go back to where you came from. The question you must ask yourself is how are you participating in this race? Are you walking? Are you running? Are you sprinting soon to fizzle out? Are you taking care of your body? Are you distracted? Are you alone and isolated on the race? Do you have partners running with you to keep you accountable? Are you even moving at all? You could be sitting still in the midst of a race happening, in a finish line, out in the future, and all the while, because of criticism, because of self-doubt, you're sitting, and you're sitting still. Now, I, I realize for some of us, we may be talking about running, and we're just like, I did not come to church to talk about exercise. My wife is really excited right now because we're talking about running and exercise. I love my wife. She's amazing. She's the most amazing person in the world and every year and every day I learn something new about her, but I will never understand how she can work out and run and be happy and carry on conversations at the same time. She has this ability to run yet having full on conversations. She will be there glistening with sweat in third or fourth mile stride and just happy and just running and then the person next to her, she's carrying on a conversation with her. How's it going? Isn't this awesome? I love working out. If I'm half a mile in, I can't even say words. And she's carrying on conversations. Everybody loves my wife. If there's somebody new that she's working out with, she'll go want to work out with them to become best friends. When we went into Arizona earlier this year, um, we, she went to a CrossFit gym for three days. At the end of the third day, she was invited to everybody's house in three days. If I go to the gym to go run, if, if I do a big, if my ear pods are in and I ain't talking to nobody, I don't want to talk to you. I'm there to just listen to a podcast and worship Jesus. I'm being spiritual. She's not, she's not, she's being relational. I'm trying to connect with the Lord and she's this there trying to make friends, but all of us run differently. She can run there with a smile on her face, super excited to be there. I'm wondering why I made this decision for my day. All of us have different strides and different styles of running. I'm coaching a bunch of four-year-olds soccer right now. You all should pray that they survive. I almost killed a few kids earlier. We had our first game on Friday. It was 20 to 1. We lost. My daughter scored the only goal. That's all that mattered, praise God. No, no, no. I got girls on my team. They got boys on their team. I'm like, this, what are we doing? I'm like, girls, we're going to kick their butt. I don't care if you lose. Somebody knock a boy down. Show them. Show them. We ain't intimidated. You may be boys. We're not intimidated by you. We didn't, nobody got knocked down. Our girls fell down. No, they're running. And they're like, oh, with Daisy. I'm not exaggerating. There was a time in the game where they're running. And one of our girls looks to somebody she's playing against. says like, "I love your hair." And the girl stops. And she's like, "Oh, thank you, my mom did it." And the other girls gather around. Like, it is so beautiful. I'm like, "You're playing soccer." <laughs> so pray that I don't kill any children before the end of the year. On the other hand, my son and my, my other daughter—they're playing. Uh, but I mentioned participation trophies earlier. My son—he's uh, nine, and he's probably got eight or nine trophies. Nine trophies, and he's nine. Like, he's great at sports, but the guy hasn't won any serious game ever. And yet he's received nine trophies, and he's proud. His whole dresser is full of trophies and medals and pictures. And, I mean, at, at these ages, no one cares if you win. You go to the ref after the game, and you're like, what was the score? He's like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, yes, it matters. It matters. We keep track. We get into the car. We know who wins and loses, right? Is? And if we lose, we're like, this is what we do to get better. We got to work harder. We got to practice. We got to learn how to pass the ball better and kick the ball. We care about winning and losing in the Christofferson household because everyone runs, but one wins. So we want to run hard to win the race, right? But I wonder if we haven't, like, trained a generation to think that if you just show up, you get rewarded, Like, we got a bunch of millennials and Gen Z's going to work, wondering why they got fired because they showed up and they came with a bad attitude and they didn't come with excellence and they didn't take care of things, they didn't honor their boss, and then you got fired. There is no participation trophies in life. You got to earn your way. The saddest part about that is they all clapped for that and nothing else that I said. There's no participation trophy in life. And I'm, I'm using humor and I'm, I'm using sarcasm, but my point is I wonder if we haven't somehow trained the church and believers that just showing up is enough. Hey, if you just show up, that's great. No, you're in a race. You gotta bust your butt and win. You're not competing against me. You're not competing against Luke or Jeffrey or anybody else. You're running your race. But there's a finish line, and I want to cross that finish line strong. I want to cross that finish line with a wake of people behind me crossing it with me. And if I'm approaching it casually and in comfort, I won't be running. I'll turn back because it's all about me. I've run before. A few miles. My wife is trained for a half marathon for some reason. And um, it's painful. It's painful. Like you got to push yourself past what you think you're capable of. It's hard. And this race of life is hard. And if you're not prepared, you will go right back to where you started. So this morning, I want to talk to you about four different areas. There's probably a hundred of them. But I want to focus on four reasons why, as Christians, we go back to where God brought us out of. Why do we go back to the village? So if it's time to leave it, how do I not go back to it? So number one, why do we go back to the village? Y'all, be taking notes. Write it down. If you want to be people that steward the race well and run well, let me tell you practical application of self-discipline is step number one. This is what it looks like. Take notes when somebody's teaching you something so you can go back and reread it. I take notes when my brother preaches or somebody else preaches. So when I go home, I'm like, God, that's what you spoke to me. Help me apply that to my life. So let's be a church that takes notes to apply what we hear. Step number one. How, why do people go back? Because they encounter trouble. People go back to comfort Because once they leave the village, they encounter trouble. We see it when the Israelites get to the Red Sea and they see the Egyptians behind them. They encounter trouble and their first course of action is to want to retreat. What does Moses say? Moses says, stand firm in your faith and watch the Lord fight for you. But God says something different. God comes and he's like, bro, why are you complaining? Move forward into the Red Sea. It's time to move forward, not retreat, not stand still, but advance ahead. I'm not talking today about going back to the village and losing your faith, although that is happening all across the world today with Christians. I'm talking about going back to the place of comfort to where it's all about you and you're no longer pursuing the Lord. Y'all hear me today? In Matthew eight, twenty three through 26... It says, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. We know this story, we've heard it a hundred times. But I wonder if you didn't know the first verse. Put that back up there again, the very first verse, verse 23. Verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. They followed Jesus into the storm. Jesus actually was like, hey, come on, boys. I got a great surprise for you. They all got in the boat, and they encountered the storm. I thought that if I followed Jesus, it was supposed to be no storms. Why am I encountering trouble when I'm a Christian? And see, somewhere fabricated in the bowels of hell, they have created a lie, and it's been disseminated whenever the gospel is preached, that when you say yes to Jesus, your life will be awesome. It's a lie. You, Some of you are like, can I say amen to that? Your life will not be easy when you're a Christian. It's actually a promise from God that it will not be. Let me show you in John 16, verse 33. It says, here on earth, you will see many trials and sorrows. It's a guarantee. You will face trouble along the way. Why? It's because you live in a fallen world where the devil is trying to destroy you and kill you. But we must remember the next part. He says, but take heart. Take heart. Come on. If I've said anything that you should be excited about, it is this right here. Y'all clapping for participation trophies. Take heart. Why? Because he's overcome the world. He's overcome your problems. You want to know why? I'm just getting real. We're being real. We're family. We're getting raw this morning. You want to know why you're all clapping for our participation trophies cuz it's somebody else's problem? You want to know why you won't clap when I say that? Because you're the problem. I'm just being real this morning. We are so quick to acknowledge somebody else's struggle and point the finger, but when it's us trying to leave this place of comfort, we don't want to do it. We we hold back because it feels painful. It's a race. It's supposed to be painful. You want to know what happens in the race? When you're training for a race, you run three miles, and you're dead. You're exhausted. Take the ice bath. You don't ever want to do it again. Then a couple of weeks later, then you run five miles. You're more dead. And then a couple of weeks later, you run seven miles. Now you're dead again. But you know what? You're you're creating endurance. You're stretching muscles. You're expanding your capacity. What today seems impossible, tomorrow all of a sudden is feasible because you're taking steps of faith along the way. And what happens is why Christians oftentimes retreat back to a place of comfort is because they have a belief system that says that it's supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy, but you have the victory. So I can be in the midst of the storm and I can respond like the disciples that Mark tells the story and the disciples respond to Jesus and they say do you even care that we are about to die do you even care oftentimes we're in storms I've been there I've been in storms I'm in storms right now and there's many times where the thought comes to my head like God do you even care that I'm going through this right now are you even with me and he's in the boat asleep why he's so secure that he has greater and had overcome that world overcome that storm overcome that problem overcome that impossibility so he's at peace god never ever 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 promised you that it would be easy and when you run this race called Christianity, called following after Jesus, you must understand that problems and trouble and storms will come your way. Pandemics, vaccinations, changes of presidents, things that you don't agree with, riots, things that that make you want to flee and run will come your way. How will you respond? Will you respond with hatred? Will you respond with vengeance? Or will you love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you? Will you realize that it's in the storms that God actually wants to teach you the most in your life? It's in the storms where I used to be like, God, save me, get me out of here. Now maturity has set it and I'm in the storm. And I'm like, God, what are you trying to teach me? I can't die. I'm going to live with you forever. I'm fine. I'll be great. God, what are you trying to teach me? Because I want to become more like you. Be holy as I am holy. God, teach me. Prune me and challenge me. And many times those very storms you're rebuking in the midst of it is an invitation from the Lord to grow. And you're trying to cast the devil out when the Lord's trying to be like, I'm here to try to teach you something. He turns everything for good. And we're on this race and we're facing hurdles and challenges and we're casting the devil out rather than being like, God, I'm listening. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Will you yield To the Lord, Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water, which is what many of us do. We leave the place of comfort. We get out of the boat. We start walking on the water, and he notices the winds and the waves, and he he sinks. Rather than keeping his eyes fixated on Jesus, when you leave that place of comfort and you get out of the boat and start pursuing the Lord, winds and storms and waves are going to be all around you. If you don't fixate your eyes on Jesus, you will sink. Practically, let's describe for a moment what it means to leave the place of comfort. What does this mean when we keep talking about this? Leaving a place of comfort looks like hunger that you cannot contain. Leaving a place of comfort looks like you coming into a room like this and your hunger moves the room. Leaving a place of comfort looks like You can't be silent any longer about the Jesus you're madly in love with. The neighbors that you've been scared of, the boss that you've been intimidated by, the family member that you've ignored because you can't understand how they live that way and they've chosen that life. What does it look like when you leave the place of comfort? When you say yes to Jesus every time and you say no to yourself. Yes to Jesus. It's about you. It's not about me. Leaving a place of comfort looks like passion that is not quenched by trouble. Another reason why people go back, number two, why they go back to the villages is because they don't know the word and they don't know his voice and they don't cultivate daily encounters into their life. They don't know the word, they don't know his voice and they don't cultivate daily encounters into their life. When you're in the storm and you're wondering whether God is with you, it's because you don't know his word. If you knew his word, you would know he will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says that we are to meditate on the word day and night. Day and night, we are to meditate on his word. We need the presence of God and we need two commitments in order to maintain through this race. You wanna know how to run this race well? Anybody wanna know how to run this race? Wow. You wanna know how to win the race well? This is what you need two commitments. A commitment to stop and go into the presence of the Lord in the secret place daily. If you want to run this race well, you need to stop daily and go into the secret place with the Lord. And number two, you need to take the presence of the Lord with you. Some of us are really good about step number one, but we mess up on step number two because we leave the secret place and we go live like hell or we go make mistakes and we fall into pits and holes and we forget everything that the Lord just spoke to us, but we need to take the presence of the Lord with us, the Holy Spirit. Everywhere I go, I'm driving in my car to work, while I'm sitting in my office, while I'm at the soccer game, while I'm teaching four-year-olds how to play soccer and I want to kill one of them. I'm like, but Jesus is enough. Take the presence of the Lord with you. We need to have the, so we need the presence of the Lord, and we need the Word of God. A commitment to the Word of God will change your life. The B-I-B-L-E, that is the only book for me. I need to make two commitments with the Word of God. I need to commit to study it, and I need to commit to live it. A lot of people got a lot of verses memorized. They're, they're all over your house, but you aren't living them you got a verse that says, my God is for me. Who can be against me? But then you go through storms in life and you go through challenges and you're like, oh, where's God? It's because you're not living the verse. You need to study the word of God so that it can fill you from the inside out. Hosea 4, 6 says, God's people die for a lack of knowledge. God's people die for a lack of knowledge. Prophetic inspiration and miraculous encounters will get us out of Egypt. They will get us from the village outside into transformation. But only the knowledge of God's ways will get us through the desert. They 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 didn't hear it. Should I say it again? Because they would have clapped like they did before on the participation. Prophetic inspiration and miraculous encounters will get us out of Egypt, but the knowledge of God's ways will get us through the desert. Fire is not enough. Your fire for God is not enough. Your fire, your passion, your zeal, your hunger for God is not enough if it doesn't have the foundation of his word, if all you do is spend time just lifting your hands and worshiping and praying, but you're not filling yourself with the word of God, you're not reading his words, committing it to heart, stewarding it well, you will find yourself in season after season, issue after issue where you don't know what to do, you don't know what the Bible says, you don't know what he's saying in that moment, when it's right here. We should view God's study as one of our highest privileges. Truth will set you free. Truth will set you free. Studying the word of God is a privilege. Without truth, we don't know God's way. So when God acts like himself, we get angry. If we don't understand that God disciplines his children, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when he disciplines us, we think he's abusing us. Because we think he's hateful and vengeful. But when we study the word and we realize that if he's not disciplining us, it means he doesn't love us, then we realize, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Prune me. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about a loving father disciplines his children. God will bring pruning and correction to you, but if you don't read his words, you'll go through those seasons and you'll think God hates you and he's vengeful. Fire is not enough, fire by itself. Will not survive without foundation fire without an altar will get trampled on fire without fresh firewood will die fire unmaintained will blow out and fire without the right incense is profane passion is not enough. Are you nurturing the fire, the passion, fanning into flame, the hunger that's inside of you for the Lord? Are you stewarding it well, or are you hoping that just the mere idea and desire is sufficient? I must steward it. I don't feel like getting up every morning to spend time with the Lord, but I know we need to steward the fire of God in my life. I don't feel like jumping into worship every time I show up and giving Him all. I want it to be about me. I'm tired today. I'm leaving for vacation right after church today, and I just want to jump on the airplane. But you know what? I'm in the. Pres- of the Lord. And it's all about Him. So I will put every other distraction aside. Jesus, you are worthy. It is not enough to just be passionate for the Lord. You must have foundation of His Word and daily encounters in your life. Amen. Thank you. Number three. Y'all with me this morning? Number three. The reason why we go back is they find themselves alone. You go back to the village because you find yourself alone. You need the people of God. Let me give you two commitments here. You need to commit to gathering together. This, this gathering together, ain't no pandemic gonna change the mere reason why we need to gather together because we need to encourage each other. We need it. Hebrews chapter 10 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is near. We need to gather to encourage. You need the body of Christ to encourage you. You will not be able to make it on your own. You won't. You need the body. I've been to Iraq many times. And I'll meet Christians there who get saved in a dream because Jesus comes in their dream. He comes as the man in white. They get saved and they're born again and and become a Christian. But they don't know any believers. In fact, they know if they tell anybody that they're a Christian, they'll get killed. So they keep it to themselves for years. But eventually... They find a Christian, and they will come to the church of that Christian and be like, you don't understand how much I've needed you. I've tried to do this on my own. Jesus appeared to them, and like, I can barely make it another day without somebody to encourage me and keep me moving. Why do you need people around you? Because they sharpen you. They keep your focus, laser focused on the goal ahead, the prize. You're on a race. Cross that finish line well. So you need a commitment to gather together, and you need a commitment to run with people outside the corporate gathering. Commitment to run with people outside the corporate gathering. Next week, we launch small groups. Every single person at the Promise Church needs to be in a small group. Why is it so that we get good signups? No, it's because you need to run with people outside of a corporate gathering so they can keep you sharp, keep you focused, keep you committed to the race at hand. I got people who I do life with. They know what I've come from and when I start going back to like, bro, you ain't going back to that place of comfort. You've left that village Keep your eyes ahead. They're running with me. So when my eyes get on the winds and the waves, they're like, fixate your eyes upon Jesus. This storm isn't too big. I got to have people around me that are like, you're not honoring your family in this season. You need to spend more time with your wife. That's right. That's what's important. I need people around me to keep me sharp. And if I'm all alone and isolated, I'll veer off. You need to join a small group so that you can run and do life with people outside of this corporate gathering. So this Sunday, today, after church, we can bring the iPads up here and you all can sign up for a small group. You can go on your phone and you can sign up because you need to find people to do life with. Number four, the reason why we go back to the village is we face disappointment. This race takes a long time. Your whole life, in fact. It's a long race. And it's in the delays that we begin to lose hope. Anybody here got promises that are being delayed in their life right now? Things that the Lord, they feel like, has spoken to them that we just don't see yet? Well, if your hand's not raised, I want to learn about how you're doing it. Because I got about a hundred of them. I got things that I've been praying for, asking for, and they're not happening yet. And I'm wondering why... Why Why won't it come? It's in the delay that the Lord is inviting you to go deeper. It's his kindness that is delayed. If he gave you it all today, you'd have a bunch of spoiled little brat Christians thinking that they just deserved it all because they got a participation trophy for showing up to school. Just because you came to church, there's no reward. There's, it's, it's not like you show up and the angels are clapping because he can't, no, it's, You're on a race. You're on a race to run to finish strong. I want to be with my Jesus. But along the way, there are disappointments. In 2 Peter 3 verse 8, it says, The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. He's not delaying it as you think he, why you think he is. You think he's delaying it because he's not going to do it. You think he's delaying it because you're a mistake and a failure. He's delaying it. For you. He's delaying it for your benefit. Joseph gets given the dream that he's going to rule in the palace over his family. Then he's sold into slavery. Then he's wrongly accused and he's thrown into prison before he ever goes into the palace. David gets anointed king. Then he's got to go kill Goliath. Then he's got to go on the run from Saul. And then he's finally set in as king. Abraham gets a prophetic word. He's got to wait. Decades before he sees the word, his son born. After he's made a terrible mistake by sleeping with his maidservant. The Israelites are told they're going to go into the promised land, but the Lord leads them through the desert before the promised land. In between you and the promises of God is a process. And if you're not willing to understand that it's in the process where God is trying to give you depth, He's trying to help you dig your well. He's trying to teach you things and help you grow. If you aren't prepared for that, you're going to face those things. You're going to get disappointed. And you're going to go right back to where he led you from. Right back to that place of comfort. And I understand on this race of life, many of you have disappointments because you thought God let you down. I also understand that many of you are, have disappointments because your leaders have let you down. you followed people who've led you in the wrong direction. And all of a sudden you put your head up and you realized, how did I ever get here? This is not where I wanted to be. And you're like, why try? I don't even know how to get back on track anymore. And you're still in the race, but you sit down and you quit. How do we handle disappointments? How do we handle the pains and the challenges of life so when they come against us, we don't retreat back to the village again? In Galatians 6, Verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we wait, if we stay in perseverance, if we continue and we don't grow weary, we will reap the reward at the end. I'm not talking this morning about your salvation. I'm talking about will you fall into a place of comfort where you begin to retreat into familiarity, into religion, into rituals where it's all about you. Some of you, some of you maybe haven't even read your Bible in years. Some of you, you come into worship and you're like, is this over? Some of you, some of you spend time with your family uh, and, and it's all about you. You sit in your lazy boy chair and you're waiting for everybody to serve you. It's never about them. Some of you go to work and you're the worst worker because all you do is you criticize your boss and your coworkers and the job and everything. You hate it. We fall into this place of comfort in this satisfied state. And God's like, if you want the more of God, you've got to leave what you're comfortable with. You got to leave the status quo so that I can bring transformation and healing to your life. In this season for me, I'm looking at every, I'm like, God, how am I parenting my children? What do I need to do differently? God, what, where have I lowered the standard in my life? God, what disappointments, what things have allowed to come in to make me tolerate things? That sin in my life that I'm like, I'm just gonna manage this? No, you are, you're to be free of that. And as a, as a church, if we are to, go into a place of desperation again for the Lord. we got to leave the comfort of where we've been. Why not you stand with me? There's a story of a, of a woman with an issue of blood. Many of us know the story. She tried everything for years. Nothing would work. She wasted all of her money, went to all the specialists and all the doctors, and it wasn't working. And then Jesus began to walk by. And she had a decision to make, whether she was gonna stay in that place of disappointment and misery, where failure after failure came, where she was continually in this place of feeling hopeless and in despair. Because she had an issue of blood in that time, if she touched anybody, she was probably gonna get stoned because she was gonna make them unclean. And she had a decision to make. Was she gonna push through the crowd at the cost of potentially being stoned in order to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment with the possibility of getting healed. She didn't know for certain whether it was going to happen, but she believed. And she chose to leave that place of self-pity, just like that dog in the story. She chose to leave that place of self-pity. She never wanted to stay there, but she had to push through. She had to make the conscious effort to say, I'm not going to stay satisfied any longer. i got to get desperate again. I've got to push through the crowd to touch the the hem of Jesus' garment. Promise Church, my, my fear is that as a church, we begin to get really comfortable doing church the way that we do it. My fear is that we begin to go through the games and the rituals of church, and it's great, and God is here and His presence is here. And it's so wonderful every time we gather. But the Lord is speaking again and again and again that we can't stay here any longer. We cannot stay here. There is more. He wants to take us from glory to glory to glory. We can't get the next glory by staying in the same place. He's inviting us into more. And this morning, if you would just close your eyes with me, I understand that many of you Have said yes to Jesus. You've surrendered your life to Him once, twice, 20, 50 times. But you find yourself again and again and again retreating back to the village, retreating back to that place of comfort, back to just the same thing again, the same struggles, the same questions, the same difficulties the same fear, the same pride, the same religious perspective, and you're like, why why can I not push through? I believe that this morning that Jesus is coming to you yet again. For some of you, it's the 50th time, and that's okay, but he's coming to you and he's asking you, will you come out of the place of comfort? Will you come and follow me? Will you leave it behind? Not allow trouble, not allow disappointment, not allow loneliness and isolation to to cause you to go back and this morning if that's you and you're saying and i i'm i'm stuck again i need to begin to follow jesus and get out of this place of comfort i just want you to raise your hands you're you're raising your hands for yourself saying i need to move forward and this morning i'm raising my hand to say god i've retreated too often to go back to the place of comfort god i need to move forward again God, I want to see the greater glory. God, I want to receive the greater fire from heaven. God, I want you to trust me with the more of you. So God, I leave what I'm familiar with. I leave the place, God, of comfort. And I say, yes. I will follow you. I'm fine with changing the rituals and the routines and the structures and the systems because God, I only want you. So I leave it all behind and I say, God, teach me your ways. Teach me again what it means, Father, to be desperate for you. And this morning as the band begins to play, I want you, if you raise your hands, I want you to begin to respond however you feel to respond. Now this morning I would ask you, I would be honest with you, that if if you don't recognize that you're in the place of comfort. Again, we're being raw this morning. I would probably tell you that every single person in this room, I don't care if you're the senior pastor like myself or you came here yesterday. This is your first Sunday. All of us are probably in a place of comfort and we need to come. To the Lord. I'm so proud of your pedigree. But all of us need more of God and we must leave the place of comfort behind so this morning I would ask you to close your eyes and to lift your hands to heaven for some of you the very thought of leaving the place where you've been like it still doesn't even make sense to you that's okay just respond in faith this morning respond and say God I don't want to do things the way I've always done them God I'm desperate for another touch from you I'm desperate to leave the comfort behind because God I need your glory God, I need your freedom. God, I need your transformation. God, I need your healing touch in my life. So God, I respond to you again today. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. God, whatever you need to remove in my life, remove it. Whatever you need to change in my life, change it. Holy Spirit come I pray to each and every heart right now that has retreated and there's guilt and condemnation. God I break the cycle of guilt and condemnation in Jesus name. Freedom come and healing come into every heart. Healing come into every heart in Jesus name. Healing come into every heart. Come on, sing it. Sing it. Now I want you to begin to worship Him outside of that place of comfort. I want you to begin We keep singing this song. I want you to begin to worship Him outside of your own fear, outside of your own satisfied state. I want you to begin, by faith, to get desperate for the Lord, to say, God, I'm running this race hard. I'm running after You. I'm keeping my eyes after You. Lord, come, come and touch me. Come and encounter me today, God, because I need to leave." what I'm familiar with. I need to leave religion. I need to leave routine and run. So God, I make me desperate for you. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I give my eyes upon you, Jesus. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb of God. No other but you, Jesus. No other but you, Jesus. Come, come and consume us today. Come and consume us today. We receive a fresh touch from you. We receive a fresh touch from you today, Lord. Come and deposit faith. Come and deposit fortitude and perseverance in our life today, Jesus. Come and touch us again. Come and touch us again. Come on, begin to lift your voices and sing this. Holy is the Lamb of God. Holy is the King of kings and the Lord of lords.